0: welcome to The Next Level, a podcast from the Team Performance Institute. Here we provide actionable insights on modern leadership and team development, driving higher levels of organizational performance and life empowerment. I'm your host, John Sanchez. Join me and my team as we take you on the journey to the next level. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to part two of our special series on Leading Through Chaos. We are here with Coleman Ruiz, Navy SEAL and SEAL Team brother of mine, Naval Academy graduate, top graduate from the Academy, wrestling team captain, and he served on the top counter team in the world. After that, he transitioned to leadership development, where he does a lot of great work. You can find a lot of his blogs and videos on ColemanRuiz.com. I highly, highly recommend taking a look at that stuff and some of that stuff we get to talk about today. Thanks so much for joining us. You wrote a bit about perceive, believe, and act, and this is a whole other topic that we could probably and hopefully can go into. Let's talk about the Stockdale paradox, Mm -hmm. right? Here's a guy who, um, you know, incredible warrior pilot who gets shot down um, and he becomes a prisoner of war for unknown time and and um you know i i hate to and, and people tend to you know also hate to put up against like what we're going through yeah right with the idea of becoming a prisoner of war a lot right. of people say to me like, i never want to i never want to like you know mix like hey what i'm going through in terms of my business and trying to hit my quarterly number to you know what you experienced on deployment but there are a lot of things that that link together so some of these you know these psychological factors to, to where we are right now. Talk to us a little bit about the Stockdale paradox and, you know, his view on optimism and your view on what it was like to get through a lot of stuff that you went through.
1: Yeah. It's, um, let me give a little background to the listeners and then I'll
0: Yeah, please. read
1: a couple of quotes so they can take them away. So first of all, for those who don't know vice Admiral James B Stockdale, the Stockdale center for ethical leadership is housed here at the Naval Academy. They're not, inside the curriculum of the U.S. Naval Academy. It's a separate ethics center of excellence that informs the Naval Academy's curriculum and does some things outside. And the reason for that is because before Admiral Stockdale was a wing commander in Vietnam, he was at Stanford doing a master's degree in international relations and wandered over, as he says, wandered over to the philosophy department and also got a master's degree in philosophy. And when he left Stanford to go take his commanding officer job in Vietnam. His professor, his main professor, and his name is uh, not coming to me right now. Handed him a book from Epictetus and said, "You're going to want this on your bedside table when you go to Vietnam." And so he had Epictetus's um, Enchiridion on, which was a collection of Epictetus. Didn't keep any of his own notes. Was a collection of Epictetus's teachings and thoughts while he was Marcus Aurelius, Roman Emperor's teacher. And so, Admiral Stockdale is the CEO of the the wing and he's flying combat missions. And I think he was either on or just after his 100th combat flight off the Kitty Hawk. I think it was the Kitty Hawk. And he, he got shot down, he ejected out of his aircraft. And he said to himself, and he wrote and spoke about this later. He said to himself, I'm leaving the world of technology and I'm entering the world of Epictetus. And he knew that, obviously, his standard way of doing business was about to change. And then he spent eight years in the Hanoi Hilton, four of the eight in solitary confinement, and two of those four in leg irons. And when he was home, he was back at Stanford teaching, and Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, was at Stanford at the same time, and he was doing an interview with Admiral Stockdale. And he asked him, like, how did, you, how did you find the courage to survive? Apparently, they were walking around the campus in Palo Alto. And I'll read a couple of quotes here to you. Admiral Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Jim Collins didn't say anything for a few minutes. And finally, after about 100 meters of silence, he asked Admiral Stockdale, who didn't make it out? Who didn't make it out? And Admiral Stockdale said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. The optimists, Jim Collins asked him. Now I'm completely confused. I don't understand. And Admiral Stockdale said, quote, the optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're gonna be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go and then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart and Stockdale closed the conversation by saying, quote, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And yes, We're not in the Hanoi Hilton, John, you're right. And hitting sales targets, you know, on a daily basis might not be running into an enemy compound overseas. However, the range of emotions, as you mentioned, that come with unsettling times like this are consistent across, you know, any human. And so back to this idea of perceive, believe and act, which comes from Lawrence Gonzalez's book, Deep Survival. Subtitle Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why. It's one of the first things that mountaineering survivors lost at sea, you know, you name it. Looking across all these different situations, Lawrence Gonzalez writes about how, and this has been my personal experience as well, the most difficult thing to do and the most necessary thing to do, whether it's deployment, coronavirus, is to look at objective reality as a witness get up above the situation and say, okay, it's the old, like, I believe button, right? As a math major, you have to hit the I believe button so many times because you don't understand anything the teacher's saying, and you just have to believe that the equation works, is this situation, this disruption, this at-home isolation, this new way of working, you know, you name it. it. It is what I perceive. I do believe it. And then, okay, let's start acting in a way that um, that this thing, whatever the thing is, can work for everybody. Um, so yeah, I'll just take a, take a pause there.
0: No, it's it's absolutely brilliant. So much richness comes out of that and it really just does draw the parallel to what we're going through. Right. And yeah. so much, so many, you know, and it was, you know, Stockdale would have probably said the same thing. It was a day by day thing. You know, there's some really great readings that you can find on POWs. Charlie Plum wrote, I'm no hero. Yep. They're just about getting through. Uh, Louis Zamperini, mm-hmm. uh, in his book, or Lord Hildebrand wrote about an unbroken. unbroken. Yep. And there's two really good scenarios in that one where he believed and he felt like he was going to get, just like Stockdale, they had to have this kind of core belief that we were going to get through this um, yep. and we could do it. Um,
1: so again, as a reminder, John, like what he's talking, what Stockdale's talking about, obviously, yeah. a false optimism, at least this is the way Coleman thin slices it, you know, in his mind, what Stockdale is talking about is a false optimism. It's, it's almost a wishing, right? We, we have to release ourselves from the wishing that coronavirus is going to be over next week. It's not like, so it, it it gives us a chance to reach out and grab a little more um, power, so to speak, to take control to take back some control of our environment the best that we can. I'll I'll give you one other note on this topic. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman at Stanford is a buddy of mine. He uh, essentially studies stress, um, nervous system, um, uh, how the nervous system responds to different environments. And, And he does some work with another buddy of mine named Pat Dossett. And Andrew Huberman was recently on Uh, a podcast with a guy named James Altucher and what Huberman recently wrote about, and I'll make sure I send you the link so you can put it in the show notes for, for the listeners is he talks about moving the finish line closer. And so there's a, there's a chemical. So let me go down the rabbit hole very quickly, less than 30 seconds. When we're in stress and uncertainty, the body naturally releases norepinephrine and noradrenaline are the same thing. It's why it's called two things, I don't know. We have to ask um, Dr. Huberman. But well, let's say norepinephrine is like the first thing that kicks when our stress response kicks in, right? Dopamine is our evolutionary like chemical that physically and metabolically counteracts norepinephrine in a stress environment. How do we get more dopamine? We we obviously we hit goals, right? But forget like a whole concept about goal setting. The important point in a situation like this. The situation is so uncertain that we have this low valence of norepinephrine kicking in for lots of different reasons. We're homeschooling, the cat just peed on the couch, whatever, right? Excuse me. Andrew Huberman and Pat wrote about in Fast Company an article about moving the finish line closer. And that can be everything from I made my bed this morning to I got a 30-minute walk to I got a chance to do my morning routine. Those are dopamine hits that metabolically – Counteract norepinephrine. The point is this: forget the ke- forget the chemistry of performance for a second. What we have to do is what Stockdale and Charlie Plummer and other people did. They moved the finish line closer to themselves in ten to twenty minute increments. That's
0: right. That's right. And in your um, and in your principles that you wrote about how to get through crisis, your fifth one is you know sticking to the process over end state. Right. Right. You talk about you know. Specifically that like moving the finish line. That's
1: yeah,
0: it is kind of brilliant. You've been through, you know, think about just some of the arduous things that that we encountered as young, young men going through buds or going through hell week to think about the entirety of a week, like of a very difficult week of training like hell week where you sleep maybe three to four hours for five or six days. If I had to wrap my head around that knowing having been through it and you've been through it, like what that would be like. And I had to take it all in its entirety. That is the impossible pill to swallow. And, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, one of the instructors who helped me get through was, you know, he said, Hey, if this isn't, you know, there's one trick to getting through some of this stuff, you know, just make it to the next meal.
1: Yep. You just yep. gotta make yep. it,
0: just make it to the next meal. If you can't make the next meal, then just make it through the next hour. Mm-hmm. You know and if you can't do that then just make it through the next minute and if you can't make it through the next minute then just make it through the next moment yeah um, I thought that was just you know phenomenal instead uh, I've taken that with me of course that was how you get through one of the most difficult weeks of your life but I've taken that with me to through business and through trying to you know do a million cold calls to transitioning out of the military which part of the challenges to being a better dad, trying to be a better, you know, husband—just um, parenthood in, in and of itself. And
1: John, look, when I went back as an instructor, I would say the number one reason, watching, because I was the first phase officer. You know, for the listeners, that's where we do Hell Week. So I watched five classes worth of, you know, young recruits go through Hell Week. I would say the number one reason people quit when Hell Week starts is. Because they are thinking about, so most of the people quit in Hell Week. You may not remember this as a student. I didn't remember this at all as a student until I saw it as an instructor. For the listeners, Hell Week starts on a Sunday night, and you go all the way until Friday. On Monday night, you're only 24 hours into a five-day, you know, event. And most of the people quit on Monday night, 24 hours in. And so you've already done four weeks of training to get to hell week. So ask yourself, after four weeks, why did you quit in 24 hours? Most people quit in the first 24 hours because they're thinking about the next four days.
0: That's right. That's why they quit. That's right. It's even hard to comprehend what that looks like, right? Just helping people, right. you know, one one day at a time. I know that's so cliche. It just sounds awful. But if you ask like, you know, if you ask a, a veteran Navy SEAL like Colman Ruiz, so, you know, how are you getting through this? Hey, it's getting up in the morning, having a cup of coffee, hitting my foam roller, you know, having a little bit of time, having small wins inside my day. That's it. You know, how do you define the finish line? Right. And define winning, man. You know, it's as simple as that. Like, Hey, what do we got to do over this next week as a family, you know, gather the family unit around and say, all right, how's it going? Think about a
1: retail business, Sean. If a retail business is defining wins on sales, they're dead right the businesses are closed so right. if you just take that concept generally is you're right like we have to redefine and this is why in all these things that i was putting together that you and i have been chatting about why it kept tracking me back these ideas of like how to survive in uncertainty why it kept tracking me back to this idea of you know which are oh, of course mixed the operating rhythm the process and all these other things is like because every expectation of normality is, is no longer.
0: That's right. That's right. And, and we're in a whole new normal of what could be and what right. if, what if. Talk to us a little bit about pre and postmortems and how we used or how you used after action reports in the teams and how we can apply that into our, our daily life. Can you give us a little bit around that?
1: Yeah. Again, this was, uh, <clears throat> this was a couple of business teammates having a chat with them and, um, giving a guy a recommendation, just, we used to use these obviously in the military, but I was saying, look, he was asking, you know, gosh, just from a Saturday and a Sunday and then Monday starts and so much stuff has changed again. I said, look, one thing you might think about doing, we used to use a concept, you know, for the listeners, John knows this, but we used to use a concept called most likely course of action. When we were doing mission planning, you're essentially, you know, guessing or planning for the most likely thing that's gonna happen when you're out in the field. And then you also wanna take a look at most dangerous, right? Or most unsettling or most, you know, whatever, most compromising course of action that could happen to you when you're out there. And of course you want the most likely course of action and the most dangerous course of action to be as far apart as possible. Because if the most likely course of action, what you think is gonna happen on a given night and the most dangerous course of action what might happen on a given night that's the worst thing when those two converge that's bad so let's take it to today like let's say you're a leader of a team and and i would start my monday with a conversation around those two ideas so say i have a team of 50 or 30 or whatever something a little more manageable i want to hear from every person What's the most likely way your week is going to play out? This is obviously the pre-mortem. What's the most likely way your week is going to play out? Knowing what we know now, with the changes we're experiencing every day, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, what's the most unsettling thing that could happen this week, knowing how fast things are changing, et cetera, et cetera? It does two things, John. I right. think it always gives a team an ability to like air out, you know, name the fear. That's number one. Obviously, right. get it out into the open. But the other thing is you get actually a tactical conversation with your team is like as a leader, you might hear from five of your 30 people, like the most likely thing to happen this week in my division, department experience, whatever, and the most unsettling thing, they're converging. And they have been for the last two weeks and be like, whoa, okay. As a leader, let's take a time out here and focus down on that. So when we get to the end of the week and then we enter the next week and the next week over however long this, you know, quote unquote isolation lasts. We now have a tempo of this pre-mortem ahead of time, airing out the most likely stuff that's coming, and then hopefully at the end of the week, at the end of two weeks, maybe you do it every day, is to use this look back, right? This after-action review. What did we know when we made the decision that we made? What happened in line with what we thought or not in line with what we thought? And what are we going to do next? You know, that's pretty much it what so what now what what happened why what you know what are we doing next and so i think sometimes we just here's my caution is that we take our operating systems from three to four weeks ago and we're trying to put a square peg in a round hole right typical failure that's frustrating
0: Right. Typical failure. We're just trying to, we, I like to call them a team performance. Institute our patterns of success. Yep. So given our patterns of success, we will apply those under a lot of stress and pressure into our current environment. Yep. But as the current environment changes or dramatically changes, if you're in a dynamically challenging, stressful environment and you're trying to apply the, 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 you know, the, the success patterns that you had of the past, no doubt you will be somewhat successful. But are you getting the highest potential around right. that? Are you, really, are you really doing a strong assessment of what is? And yeah. somebody, very, very smart, another Ruiz, Bridget Ruiz, your amazing wife, she helped me through this concept of versions or iterations of the plan. Yeah. So yeah. as you meet with your team, like you said, you bring your 30 together and you're talking about, hey, what's you know, best case, worst case? What's most dangerous? What does it look like? You're doing a few things. First, you're, getting in a, you're allowing them – to articulate where they might not have thought about things. What what could be worst case 2 you're also letting them know you care because you're asking them about these things, right? We're not hiding from the truth. uh, You're asking, you're showing you care. They have the ability to think about them, the ability to say them out loud, the ability to be authentic inside the team to say, Hey, worst case for me is X. And the team then understands that, Hey, Bill's worst case is here. You know, and we all ultimately as teammates, we hopefully want to rally around and see how we can keep that from that, right? Yeah. And we're building, we're building a, an intricate web in times of ad, adversity as well. So super strong, but there's this iterative process that Bridget talked me through with, hey, that's now and that's version one. Yeah. And then a week from now, let's work on version two. Let's, especially
1: let's, right now, right, John, because back to this deployment concept is when we're deployed for the benefit of the listeners, when you're deployed... There's different units around the country on different forward operating bases with radically different situations, right? If you're on a tiny forward operating base and you have to not only plan operations but but also, um, ha- like kind of like you have to hold your own security rotations. And another team is on another forward operating base, and they're like, "Dude, we're chilling. We have like 15,000 people on this base who pull security. Well, right now, with all of us, if I have friends like your sister," with kids under six years old, and my youngest is 10, and I have one teenager who can drive himself to his workouts with his buddies, my forward operating base is totally different than somebody else's, right? And so we need to be more sensitive to that than we are when we're in the office together. We're like, no, no, John, you're on the same nine to five, you know, quote unquote, nine to five that I am. That's just totally blown up
0: right now. Yep, that's absolutely right, that, that hits home Coleman so much. And I think, you know, we've been doing a lot of outreach to those with young kids. We have a couple members of our team um, that have, you know, both young kids and uh, aging parents. Yeah. Right. That's a whole other reality. Yeah. That's really difficult. And, um, you know, just the worry around that and making sure that they're okay. And, you know, the reality it's um, having that, I guess, increased, like tightening up the uh, the not tightening up, <laughs> expanding the empathy, expanding yeah. you know what could be, uh, and listening a whole lot more.
1: Yeah,
0: in, in, in times like yeah. this, um, one thing you write about is, is a bit about communication. Um, you know, having we call it commanders intent, commanders guidance. In the absence of, especially in times like this, my experience is uh, in the absence of leadership. good communication this this void gets created yeah and it's like a vacuum other things will fill that and we're we're at a very dangerous time for other things to fill that right just turn on the news just listening to the radio holy crap could you just get filled up with all these things um you wrote tighten up your leaders uh you know your leader's guidance tightening tightening up your message can you talk to us a little bit about that
1: As John mentions here, something we always operate with uh, overseas or the great leaders do. I actually had a couple of leaders who just refused to write commander's guidance. And I'm convinced now that it's because they weren't willing to take responsibility for the good and the bad of them putting their guidance on paper. Mm -hmm. But an ideal scenario, all the way down to the tactics of it, John, to me, it's always been one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with... If you do nothing else, it's five to seven bullet points on exactly what you just said, John, and I'll use the week the week increment as a time boundary for us. If we're doing pre-mortems every Monday, I'm rewriting and handing to my or emailing to my team or whatever, or heck, just text it to them. if in the absence of any other you know new information or any other guidance that I can provide or not provide, these are the five to seven things that are guiding our every activity our our uh, directional intent so to speak and maybe there's a couple of bullets that are um what i don't want you to do also without calling me right so here's the that's the basic version here's the here's the more military version so i can describe it in a little more detail commanders guidance good commanders guidance to me has really four parts it has a desired end state is at the very top. So again, I'm only using week increments here as, a, as an, or week long increments as an example is if I'm starting a week, I have some desired end state for this week, especially during this time and certainly on deployment. It could be in longer time intervals. And that desired end state is we're obviously starting here. And this is where I think as leaders, where I think we're trying to end up on, you know, Friday or the end of the month or whatever. The second part, of good commander's guidance is commander's intent. And I always can, in this, in today's, you know, world of transparency and, and which it, I don't, that's not meant negatively. Like we should be transparent. And I am the hugest proponent of flattening the organization, which I think we do really well in special operations. But the commander's intent part is that what I consider the experience part of commander's guidance, like experience does matter. If you're a leader of a team, you're there for some reason so use your experience. Desired end state is where we want to end up. Section number two is commander's intent, which is where we basically say, if it were me as the leader of the team and I were executing all this by myself, this is kind of how I would do it, right? It gives the team's chance to get a window into the leader's thinking process. Commander's, uh, commander's intent. The last two parts are the do's and don'ts, basically. Basically, like, and I would do this when I travel, John, when I was doing, when I was turning around two companies, every time I traveled in the first year of doing these turnarounds, because turnarounds are chaotic, every time I left the building for a week, I would print on a one-page piece of paper, this is my guidance for the week, this is my intent for the week, these are the five to seven things I want you to stay absolutely and wholly, solely focused on these five to seven bullets. And at the bottom, the last section, is these are the two, three, four things that you cannot do without calling me, right? We used to call those commanders critical information requirements. Another acronym, CCIR was don't do any of this stuff at all or without telling me. And so I'll give you an example. I was doing these turnarounds, like one of the things I would put in there is if, and I would name them by customer. If these three to five most strategic customers call with so-and-so request, send me an immediate text message and call my phone. Because I'll call them back in 10 minutes, right? This is when I'm on travel. Um, in the don't do section, if this band of customers calls for whatever reason, email them back, tell them I'm traveling, I'll get back to them in 24 to 48 hours, right? The guidance sometimes in commander's guidance is that tactical in the bullet section. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. The whole purpose is if, if one of us or an outside party were to walk around to your team, Of 20 or 30, would they all say, if we asked them, what's your leader's guidance, what's your leader's intent, and what's your five to seven priorities for the week, the month, and whatever, would they all say the same thing? That's the ultimate question you're answering. And you wanna be able to give your team a mechanism, even if they don't have it memorized, to say, to all quote unquote, say the same thing.
0: That's brilliant. It puts the entire team on the same page, it allows the team, it also allows discussion within the team on this is how, this is how the leader sees winning. And this is, you know, this is really what our overall intent is. And this is what, but it also puts the team at ease. Mm-hmm. I think about that in terms of, and this, this void that we're talking about, it's like, if I'm not sure. And a lot of people, and I've, and I've operated this in the civilian sector as well It's like, I just don't know
1: right.
0: where my, what my boss wants me to do. I'm not certain. And in terms of followership, guess what? That's on me now. Because if, if I'm not getting that correct guidance, then it's on me to go ask for it, yep. right? If I don't know what winning 100%. looks like, right? Uh, we like to break it down into um, you know, what we say is we have to define winning. Define winning over the, the short and long term. Right? What does winning mean? What does winning look like today? Right. Simple as that. Or what does winning look like for us this quarter, this month? You know, you know, can we look, can we break that down? And then we, you know, for the big, big planning process, let's look at winning over the one to five year um, time period.
1: So a, a, a good bullet point, John, right now would be, and I'm not running, you know, a large team that needs my attention every single day right now. Um, but if I, have a, if I have a team of 20 or 30 today during coronavirus, my top bullet point would be if a child or an aging family member or anybody in your immediate circle is sick, That's your number one priority, right? So example, John worked for Coleman. It's Tuesday. John completely drops off the net and misses two of our weekly operating rhythm meetings, right? My first assumption, because I know you have my guidance, is somebody in your family's sick. Because otherwise you wouldn't be off the net. Yep. And so, but what might be somebody's assumption right now, if the guidance isn't clear, who knows what the assumption would be, right? So it's just, again, like, For some reason, the way my mind works is really in like 24-hour increments. And certainly in a time like this, it does. And you want to be thinking that way.
0: Yep. Well, that goes to it. I want to be super respectful of your time because for some way, the way way that your mind works, we've really had this incredible, uh, really incredible discussion on the way that your mind works. And if it works in 24-hour increments, and I'd say this to all our listeners and to all our readers, anybody who is like, you know, just really trying and, and, and listening and, and, and working at this leadership journey, you know, understand that from both Coleman and my perspective, it is a 24-hour increment. We work on it every day. Uh, leadership is a difficult journey. And um, if you put in as much as you possibly can every day, results will happen it's that really thinking about that process over the end state. Think about what you can give, how you can give. One of my favorite quotes of Coleman Ruiz is, find the place in the team where you can contribute the most. Just brilliant, and it's so simple, right? It's just, it's absolutely fantastic uh, advice. And so with your teams, with your families, uh, and the new reality that we're in, where where can you contribute the most today? And that might change tomorrow. And that might be, that might be new space. Coleman, I want to ask one more question uh, before we wrap this up. And this is about reentry.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: we, we will get through this. There is a finish line, no matter where that is. We don't know what that is right now. We're in a very difficult time. But as we go through reentry, and you and I have done this on deployment, you know, thinking about coming back, you know, when I come back from deployment because you miss all these things. I'm going to be the most romantic husband in the world. I'm going to be the best dad in the world. I'm going to do all these great things. We have this kind of like beautiful sense of what, what could be. And those are wonderful things that we can, you know, base in hope. But let's talk more about, you know, what are some of the things that you personally, this, this new reality that we're in has given you perspective on things that you want to take back into what we might call, you know, normal, whatever the new normal is, the real world. I may even hesitate to call it whatever it's going to be when we do go back. But what are some of the things that you want to take back that you've learned through this time and continue to learn that uh, you'd like to apply to your life when this is back to some type of normalcy? Yeah.
1: I want to, I'm going to definitely answer the question. I also just want to add, cause I was having this chat with another buddy the other day. He said, you know, Colm, what do you think is going to happen? That's yeah, basically the same question. When we quote unquote come home from deployment and said, look, when, one of the things you have to remember is like, I don't know what the exact number is. 21 days, 27 days, whatever. We start to build new habits, but we're basically at that point. And so just like deployment, people are, probably doing a really good job of making the adjustments that they need to make, you know, business adjustments, personal life adjustments and re-entry into what things used to be like regular quote unquote normal life is going to be as jarring as it was four weeks ago when we went into lockdown. Right. And so my, my guess, I was, I was speaking to some people at LinkedIn about this, a team that I had done some work with in the past. My guess is, Aggressive A-type personalities in business, like us, more than fifty percent of us are going to over-accelerate into re-entry and burn up by Christmas. And so, now I'm the first. I'm the first person to uh, self-indict here. I'm the most likely person to over-accelerate and burn up. And so. The reason I say that is because the one thing I want to take into to get back to your question to the new normal when we do have a re-entry is a a, a a refocus and a reminder of for myself because I've had to really work on this the last two years my my personal pace and I've actually done you talk to my wife more than I do for the listeners John and Bridget are like besties my wife Bridget and so my pace has come way down from what it used to be. And I've really, in a weird way, I've enjoyed the lockdown and the isolation because it, it makes me control my pace. And so it's a it's a reminder or a re-reminder that I need to watch my re-entry pace.
0: Yeah, that, right on. And I've, I've had similar conversations with those and, and it's a lot of the uh, very uh, alpha strong men and and women who've gone through this and surprisingly a a little bit of guilt um, is associated with I'm kind of enjoying this lockdown and people are kind of afraid to say that because we don't want to we don't want to minimize the pain and the hurt and the fear and the anxiety and all that that's really out there and I'm certainly not suggesting we do that in any way shape or form but there's this sense of guilt that there's some really good things that have come out of this for me personally, and I kind of feel good, like I, like I've spent so much family time. I'm 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 am I'm kind of where I want to be in terms of more life balance. And so, you know, with that, I think Coleman, there's probably a whole other podcast we can do around some of the tactics or things we can do to help help us <laughs> and yeah. slow down. You, you and I being students of it, help others slow down, help others enjoy and see what it is to be. As yeah. we do, as we do go into, and it's actually called re-entry syndrome. It's not yeah. like considered like re-entry unification, re-entry, uh, celebration. It's a syndrome, right? And it's something that, um, I think there's going to be more talk about as we go through this.
1: Look, it's, if you have a teammate or a colleague who is on the front lines <clears throat> of medicine, I looking back and you guys know this in business, if you have a really crazy quarter or half a year or whole year when I used to get home from deployment most most of the time the first or the second night back home I would break into a fever and a cold sweat and that is not getting sick like that is sympathetic nervous system offloading what the spartans used to call fear shedding that's right as the body you know Ripping toxins like out of your central nervous system for if you have a teammate, a colleague, a family member who's on the front lines, they're going to want to sleep for six months when this is over. So, uh, and maybe you will maybe you'll want to sleep for six months, but I know the front lines healthcare workers are going to be really smoked.
0: Yep, what we don't realize you're right, you're right on Colmo. We don't realize is this heightened sense of awareness that everybody is carrying with them. Yeah, when you're on deployment, when you're in a forward operating base you start to get used to that normal and you realize that for a long time you're walking around with a sidearm, you know, with a weapon all the time, you know, considering what could be all the time. It just becomes your normal. It just becomes like, and then you realize when you can take that off, that it's still there, that you still carry. You didn't realize how much it had, had like this residue had worked into your system. And there's a, it doesn't just shed away. Right. right. It melts away, and it melts away over time. It needs to be washed. It needs not to be by
1: washed. accident, John.
0: Right, right. It
1: doesn't melt away by accident, and so that yeah, it's a whole another conversation.
0: Yes. So, which, which leads me to an open invitation, Coleman. If you would please consider doing this again with Team Performance Institute, with me talking about, you know, getting to the next level, um, leading through chaos. Your work is phenomenal. Uh, I just have mad respect for you as a person and as a dad, and I've got to know you for, you know, 20 plus years in so many different arenas. And, um, and just, you know, those, those that are around you, everybody that knows you and in the team's, Everybody has this just mad respect for who you are and what you do. Um, for our listeners, uh, com is where you will find a lot of the concepts, the ideas and the things that Coleman has been reading, studying and sharing. His goal is to uh, have as deep of an impact as he can with those around that. Those are, those are who are listening and be chosen to uh, have the opportunity to work with him. Again, that's ColemanRuez.com. Um, I'd highly recommend getting on that website, taking a look of some of the videos, taking a look at some of the blog posts. Uh, We have, uh, at Team Performance Institute, we have reposted some of those through our social media platform, and you can find those at teamperformanceinstitute.com. But please, you know, reach out to uh, Coleman. He is one of the greatest uh, in the game, one of the greatest students of the game, and I believe we are all students. I say that with the most respect uh, in terms of growth mindset and learning and and building on who we are, um, Coleman, leave you with the final word, my friend. And thanks for thanks for being, being with us. What would you what would, what would the great Coleman Ruiz tell twenty year old or twenty two year old Coleman Ruiz? Like, what would you go back if you could go back twenty years? What would what just tidbit of advice you could only give yourself one nugget? What would you give yourself?
1: I would say um, you are going to run yourself into the ground by 40 if you don't slow down. And that's pretty much exactly what happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Coleman, well, I can't thank you enough for your freaking vulnerability, your openness, just being who you are. This is who Coleman is, by the way, when he wakes up at six o'clock in the morning. This is who Coleman is at lunch. This is who Coleman is after four or five beers. This is the real deal. Uh, great man and honored to be with you. A great patriot to our country. Coleman, thanks so much for being on the next level and look forward to doing more of this with you, my friend.
1: Thanks, John. Take care. Talk to you next Bye, time.
0: Later. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on The Next Level. We hope that you found a couple of tips or insights today that you can take into your daily life. To learn more about our leadership training programs, our executive coaching programs, and the Team Performance Institute, please visit us at teamperformanceinstitute.com or email us at info at Hope you have an awesome day.